Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Okay, everyone, we are in our last week of our How to Pray series. My name is Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors at Mountain Park Church, and I'm just excited to be walking through this together with you. What I'd love to do before we even dive into this is just take a moment uh, for us to pray together, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Um, I just wanna invite you into this as we just kind of get ourselves focused on this last statement that Jesus makes in the Lord's Prayer. So let's just pray together. Father, we do desire to know you and our heart's desire today is for intimacy with you, to live in obedience and faithfulness to you. Uh, We just confess that uh, there's so much of this prayer and so much of the Christian life that we don't understand and that is hard for us to grasp and even harder for us to live out. But Father, we just ask in Jesus' name for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us from the Word of God in these moments. We give you our intellect and our mind. We give you uh, all of our uh, capacity right now to understand and to know um, how to engage in this part of the Lord's Prayer. And so we just ask for your leadership in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we go. Uh, I'm just gonna do a quick recap and then we're gonna step into uh, this section of the Lord's Prayer. So, so far, uh, Jesus has been uncovering some major, major themes for us. And again, um, this prayer is simple on the surface, but it is incredibly deep in its practical application and what it means for our Christian life. And so, so far, Jesus has walked us into intimacy. Um, This prayer starts with a statement of intimacy. And I believe what Jesus is kind of leading us into daily is that the number one thing in our lives that God wants with us is relationship and intimacy, our Father. That's the number one statement, the opening statement of this prayer. And we've walked and established intimacy as we are uh, walking through this every day. And Jesus establishes our identity, our Father who is in heaven, the identity of God, who he is and his majesty and his greatness. And in that we contrast our own identity, who we are. We are sons and daughters of God. We've been chosen and set apart. We've been called and anointed and gifted. And so we go from relationship and intimacy to identity and we go from identity to obedience. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where we surrender our will and our desire, our our preference for the will and desire of God, for his purposes for our life. We are in a constant state of yielding our purposes for his purposes, exchanging what we want for what he has desired for us. And we go from obedience to dependence. 
Give us this day our daily bread. And as we talk through that, that's not just a dependence on our monetary needs. It's not just a dependence on our need for food. It's actually Jesus is the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're dependent on our uh, God to provide for us literally the word that brings life to us every day. His word, we're totally dependent on this word in our lives. And we move from dependence to confession. And Jesus leads us from that state of, of recognizing our need for God, our dependence on him, to a, a, a posture of confession. Forgive us our sin. Search my heart, O oh God, and know me, where we are recognizing our not only our need for God to sustain us, but our need uh, to, to be confessional before Jesus. And out of that statement, we have um, our need for forgiveness, not only to receive it from God, but to extend it to others. And so these are the foundational elements Everything that we've been working through, everything is, that Jesus has been leading us through in this prayer is going to culminate with this last statement. And everything that we've talked through is a foundation layer for what we are about to experience. And I, again, believe that as Jesus taught his disciples this prayer, it was no accident or coincidence that he left this phrase to the end. You see, in this prayer, we've been looking up to God and we've been looking in and now Jesus is going to teach us to look ahead. He's gonna teach us to identify the things that are in front of us, to discern what's in front of us and how to respond and react to those things. The foundations of spiritual warfare, we've talked about this before, spiritual warfare is in a technique it's not a prescribed prayer that you offer in a certain way at certain times. Spiritual warfare, by its very nature, is rooted in intimacy and relationship. And that's what we've been walking through in this whole prayer all along as we're challenged by Jesus to look up, to walk in intimacy with God, to walk in obedience, to walk in dependence, to walk with a confessional and repentant heart, to walk free from unforgiveness and offense and judgment and anger and all of these things that are traps for our heart. And in this last statement, Jesus sums everything up here together. As we look ahead, I would just want to read it with you in Matthew 6. If you want to turn there with me, you can. So we move from forgive us our sins or our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And Jesus moves in verse 13 to saying, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This statement has been a, a, a tripping area for Christians for centuries. And it's been um, a statement that has sparked great theological debate and so many things have been written on it. What does it mean? Like, what does it actually mean to pray this? And I, I think, unfortunately, because it can be confusing for us to understand the statement, we just sort of leave it. We don't even really engage with it. We just sort of trail off and let it go. But um, we're going to see today that this statement is of prime importance for our life. So what does it mean? And what did he mean when Jesus said, lead us not into temptation? What does that mean? First of all, uh, 
What it means is that we all, regardless of who we are, regardless of how long we've been a Christian or not been a Christian, we all will face temptation. It's a universal fact and reality. In 1 Corinthians, if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 10. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 and 13. He says this, So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Or in another translation, it says, stand up under it. We all face temptation. James 3 verse 2 says this, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, also able to control the whole body. Romans 7, 18 and 19, this is what Paul says, For I know that nothing good lives in me, in my flesh, for the desire, I desire to do what is good in me, but there is no ability to do it. I don't do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Like, I, I'm wrestling with this. This is what Paul is saying. There's this this thing in me, this force in me that is always pulling me away from the purposes and plan of God. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, you rejoice in this even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter also said this in 1 Peter 4, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding. Because the one who suffers in the flesh, get this, the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. Peter also says, and I, I think it's funny, as I was reading all of these and studying this, Peter wrote so heavily about temptation. And if you know the story of the Bible, you understand that Peter uh, was, was tempted and he failed. He failed a huge, like massive failure to temptation. And later on, he begins, as he's learned to walk in victory over temptation, he begins to write about it. And so Peter was a guy who understood what it was like to be tempted and to fail the test. Uh, he says this, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while, to him be dominion forever. Amen. So first thing we need to understand is in this part of the prayer, Jesus is speaking to all of us. We all face temptation. We all are born into sin. We have a propensity to sin. Our default is not to do good. 
Our default is not to live righteously. Given uh, our own desires, our default will always be to walk away from God, to walk away from purity, to walk away from holiness. Our default will always be that way because we've been born into sin. The problem that we have and the reason we struggle with this is the Bible is also clear that God doesn't tempt us into sin. So what does Jesus mean when he says, lead us not into temptation if God doesn't tempt us to sin? Like what's the discrepancy here? James 1, 13 to 15 says, no one undergoing any trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after his desire is conceived, it gets, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So what we need to do is understand what that word temptation means. And that word temptation in the Greek literally is it's a word, it's called parasmos. And that word means temptation, test, or trial. In many of the verses we've already read, where it talks about suffering and trial. It's that Greek word, it's that same word, parasmos, that's being used there. And so we need to understand the context and what it's, which it's being used and the, the meaning of that word. Parasmos means temptation, test, and trial. I want to read to you what one scholar wrote about it. It can be used to describe the trial of a person's integrity or the testing of God by humans, Hebrews 3.8. It can also denote the occurrence of a trial or temptation that can be an occasion to sin, whether arising from internal desire or outward forces. Another scholar has said this, the religious and moral meaning of the word temptation, which is a trial of virtue by means of affliction or adversity or even by Satan's intervention, in the faith of Israel, God is always its author. Listen to that. In the faith of Israel, God is always the author of trial and testing. In some way, what Jesus is saying here is, look, God is sovereign. There's a sovereignty to God that we, we struggle to confront and understand, but God will test you. God in his goodness and in his purposes will bring suffering and affliction to your life. This is the, the activity of God that we wrestle with and we struggle with. And what Jesus is not saying is that God is going around enticing you to sin, but rather what God does in our life is he, he allows us to walk into periods of testing and suffering and affliction where we have a choice to make, where we stand at a crossroads. And we have a choice to either go one way and walk in greater obedience and dependency to God, or we have a choice to then um, act on that temptation in ways that are unholy and unrighteous and sinful. And so what God does is he, he walks us in his goodness into seasons of trials and gives us the ability to make a choice. And when Jesus is saying, lead us not into temptation, he's not saying that God is enticing you to sin. He's saying that God is providing a framework in your life and in my life for growth. 
And part of that growth is the necessity to walk through trial, to walk through periods of pain, to walk through suffering, to see what we will do, to see how we will spawn, will respond. What is the choice that you make at the crossroads every day? When you have the choice to go further and engage in sin or reject that and move toward God, this is what Jesus is saying when he says, lead us not into temptation. This scholar says these trials are a sounding or a test that allows Yahweh, God, to assess the quality of his servants. This purpose is mentioned endlessly in the Bible. The temptation reveals not only what is hidden, but it demonstrates not only the sincerity and the moral resources of the believer, but is also for the believer a means of perfection because he has to suffer in order to remain faithful. What did Peter say when he said, those who have suffered are done with sin? Those who have walked through trial and instead of going the way of gratifying their flesh, instead of engaging in sin, instead of giving into the temptation, those who have walked into that place of trial, into that conflict moment, into that um, crossroads moment, and decided to go toward obedience and faithfulness, to purity and holiness, those people are the one who are done with sin. But when you and I at that crossroads continually indulge in sin, we're not done with it. And in essence, we've actually failed the test in that moment. But God in his goodness and his gracious, his grace is sufficient for us. He allows us to walk through these again and again and again until we get it. Until we begin to actually walk in the way that he's called us to walk. So Temptation and trial are two sides of the same coin. And this is what we need to understand about this petition of Jesus. Lead us not into temptation. God, when, when you walk me into this trial, Father, I pray that you would give me the strength and the discernment to see what is ahead of me. Father, when I'm walking through suffering or pain, Father, give me the, the strength of character and the discernment to recognize when my choices can lead towards sin and evil and brokenness or my choices toward obedience and faithfulness. Father, when I'm in that place, give me the strength and the, the ability to choose what's right, to choose faithfulness and obedience. And this is the story of Israel through the whole Old Testament. God brought them into the wilderness to test them. He brought them to that place where they had a choice. They were able to respond to God in faithfulness and obedience or in rejection, rebellion and sin. And we have that choice every day. The question is, what do you do with that choice? Do you recognize the moment you're about to step over the ledge into sin? Are you able to stop it before you leap over that cliff? Or are you constantly dashing yourself on the rocks of sin and death and those cliffs, gratifying your own desires? Because you're not sure, you can't even discern what's happening. And Jesus is saying, lead us not into temptation. Father, when we are given the choice, when you walk us into moments of affliction and suffering, Father, I pray for the wisdom and the discernment and the fortitude and the strength to resist what is wrong and walk toward what is good. 
David in Psalm 141 says, do not let my heart turn to any evil thing. I believe that that is the heartbeat of what Jesus is saying. Father, lead us not into temptation. Do not let my heart turn to what is evil. I don't want to be swept away in this moment by everything pulling me away from the purposes of God, but I want to learn to stand strong. And this is where we need to, um, Jesus is, is taking our gaze and we started by looking up and we continue to look in and now we're looking out ahead of us. And Jesus is saying, set your face on what's ahead of you. Set your face on what's before you and engage in the confrontation. This is spiritual warfare and it's your choices and my choices every day. The choices of what you think and believe, what you watch, what you say, how you argue or don't argue, how you slander or criticize or don't, how you operate in forgiveness and humility and gentleness or in anger and hurt and judgment and offense. These are the choices every day we're faced with. And God is calling us to recognize them before we get to that place of temptation, before we cave into it. So this do not bring us into temptation is a petition from God that says, Father, open my eyes to see. And when I get to this part in the prayer every morning, this is what I just picture for myself, just visually as I'm on my knees in prayer. I just picture myself standing in front of like a, a wide open field. But I know that field is full of landmines and I can't see them all. I don't know where all the danger lurks ahead of me for the day. And so I'm saying, Father, open my eyes to see. I want to see any assignments of the enemy over my life today. I want to discern the choices you're calling me to make. I want to know when I'm close to that edge of the cliff so I can turn and run to you. Father, show me where to walk today. Father, reveal anything that's hidden and secret in my life. Any Areas that the enemy wants to tempt me. And I pray, Father, that you'd open my eyes to see what you see. Allow me to be led by you through this field that's filled with landmines. And often we just run blindly through this field and we blow off our legs or parts of our bodies because we're just blindly running forward. And this is a moment every morning for us to stop and say, Father, open our eyes to see. I want to discern what is right and what is good. Paul again says in 1 Corinthians 10, whoever thinks he stands firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Paul isn't saying that you won't be tempted. He's just saying God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And often in the moment of temptation, we believe that we don't have what it takes to stand up against it. And so we cave to it. We cave to the desire or the craving or the sinful nature in us. We cave to peer pressure from the outside, from our culture. And the Bible's clear that there's four main influencing factors in our life looking to influence us. God, the devil, our flesh, and the spirit of this age, our culture. Those are the four things in contention for your life and your attention. And Paul is saying, look, you can trust God in that moment of temptation. He is faithful. 
He will strengthen you so that you can come out under that temptation and stand strong. So what are the sources of temptation? Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 gives us uh, the example of that. But God, Satan, and the demonic, 1 Peter, be sober-minded. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. The spirit of this age, the cultural ideologies, wealth, poverty, fear of man, pervasive ideas in our culture that seem good but have humanistic roots and stand, uh, 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 foundations in our flesh, our own pride, insecurity, fear, all of these things. Paul says that these are the things that are waging war against us. And so I just want to close with this as a real practical thing. Here's the process of temptation so that we can recognize it. Number one, a simple evil thought. So something unprovoked will come into your mind. Something you haven't been dwelling on or thinking on will come into your mind. There's a simple evil thought that comes in. Number two in this process is consideration. All right, so when that simple evil thought came in right away, that's where you've got to take it captive and you've got to shut it down. If you allow or entertain that, there's a consideration now of what should I do with this? Will I do it? Won't I do it? What do I do? And now you're already down that slippery slope. Number three is you now entertain, how am I going to do this? What would this look like or feel like or be like? Number four, then you begin to give consent and permission. This is where Paul is saying, don't give the devil a foothold. You and I give permission and consent for the enemy to work in our lives all the time, to hold ground in our lives when we agree in our actions and beliefs and thoughts with the stuff that he's filling our mind with. And so this is what temptation looks like. Just a simple thought, boom, that's where you have to take it captive. That's not sin at this point. It's a temptation. When you move into consideration, you're starting down that slippery slope, then entertaining the thought is we begin to play out the imaginary sort of scenario of what that'll look like, how we'll do it, what that argument or conversation is like, and how we'll engage, and then we consent and give permission. So you can be tempted without actually sinning or giving way to sin. But the writer of Hebrews says this, we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet was without sin. Even Jesus experienced temptation. The Father led him into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights and he resisted every one of them standing firm. And what Jesus is calling us to at the end of this prayer is not only to open our eyes and recognize the sources of temptation, recognize the traps of the enemy, but to stand firm, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, James says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is the beginning point of maturity in our spiritual walk. When we begin to do what we already know from Scripture, when we begin to exercise our authority and our position in Christ. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's how Jesus ends this prayer, and that's how we're called to walk into every day, eyes wide open, so that we can respond in faithfulness and obedience to God. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. 
We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.